Welcome to St Paul Old Ford, part of the Church of England in the Diocese of London. To find out more about St Paul's, join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30am, or visit our website at www.stpauloldford.com. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Gracious God, we thank you for who you are, and we pray that you will continue to speak to us, draw us closer to you, and transform us into your likeness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're 10 days into 2016. Is everyone still buzzing with excitement and joy? A few people. Hands up who made a New Year's resolution this year. There's not very many people. Hands up who's broken their New Year's resolution already. Great, there we go. I heard on the radio that by this stage, so 10 days into the new year, about two-thirds of people who made New Year's resolutions will have broken them already. And if you're a smoker and your New Year's resolution was to give up smoking, then 50% of you have already broken that, resol- that resolution. So there we go. <laughs> it is a time of new things, isn't it? And uh, Lil has reminded us of the story of Epiphany, which we remembered last week, and the wise men coming to uh, Jesus. Jesus then going to the temple and being given a name, that sense of newness. And this week, remembering the baptism of Christ, when John the Baptist, who was preaching in the desert, baptizes Jesus, a start again of something new in the life of Jesus. You can find the the passage about Jesus' baptism, if you want to turn to it, on page 1029, in the Pew Bibles, starting at uh, verse 15. And it begins with uh, John the Baptist preaching in the desert. John the Baptist, I think, was a very good person to bring a new thing into the life of the world. I think part of the reason New Year's resolutions have or don't really work, and I've got to be honest, I've never made a New Year's resolution which has actually worked for me and which I've been able to keep to, is that as humans, we find it much easier to stick with what we're comfortable with, don't we? New things can be a bit challenging, a bit um, unsettling, if you like, a bit discomforting, and I think we're, we're almost programmed to not want to do that, so we find it easier to stick with what we already know, rather than start new things. And John the Baptist was certainly someone who would have been quite unsettling to those who saw him and heard him. Coming in from the desert where he'd spent most of his life, dressed in camel hair, shunning normal food and eating locusts, and preaching a message which, although had great comfort in it, in that the Messiah was going to come, was also... uh, certainly quite unsettling. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. That is how John the Baptist exhorted the people, apparently. So he was quite an unsettling figure to bring new things. In fact, John the Baptist was so unsettling for the Jewish authorities that eventually Herod decides he's causing too much trouble and locks John the Baptist up. And then later on in the Gospels, we read about how Herod cuts off John's head and uh, kills him. A very unsettling man. And who does this unsettling character herald? 
Well, Jesus. Up to this point, Jesus has had the wonderful stories of his birth. He then fled to Egypt as a refugee, probably going in a dinghy if he'd been there and around today. Um, flees to Egypt as a refugee, eventually comes back and settles with his family in Nazareth. Joseph passed away when Jesus is probably fairly young, maybe in his early teens. And so Jesus, as the man of the house, takes on the sort of leadership of the family. He becomes a carpenter. He takes on responsibility for his younger brothers and sisters, his mother, the wider family, possibly, and he runs the family business. And at the age of 30, he goes and meets John, and John baptizes him, and something new starts for Jesus, something which would transform the world. Jesus starts to step in to that new thing, that ministry which God has always called him to as his son. And I always think it's fascinating, really, in the life of Jesus, that here you've got the Prince of Peace as the Son of God, as fully God and fully human, Jesus embodies the ultimate peace of God, the joy of God, the hope of God. But frankly, for the Prince of Peace, he led a fairly unpeaceful life, didn't he? Baptised by John, and then the next three years are pretty uh, challenging, to say the least. Easter is incredibly early this year, but it reminds us that actually... Jesus very quickly went out into the desert after he was baptised, 40 days and nights without food or water, tempted to turn away from the path God has set him on. He then calls around him the disciples who seem to get things wrong most of the time. It ends up being betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his most trusted friends. And then, of course, he's tortured, he's subject to an illegal trial, He's killed on the cross and abandoned by all those who said they would stand by him. Praise God, on the third day, Christ rises again. But it's hardly a story that we might associate with the Prince of Peace, is it? You might think the Prince of Peace sort of comes and everyone says, oh, isn't he wonderful? Oh, that's really great, it's really nice. Actually, some of the words Jesus has used to describe his ministry in the Gospel, he talks about the sword, he talks about dividing husband and wife, father and son, mother and daughter. He talks about being a disciple, meaning taking up your cross, having nowhere to lay your head. These are pretty challenging, pretty uncomfortable things that God is doing in the life of Jesus and wants to do in our lives. But God always does new things. I think it's so tricky in the business of life to do that most basic thing, which is to stop and to listen. Um, if you're anything like me, I find that every spare moment these days, I'm probably checking my phone or catching up on latest news or something like that. There's always things to distract us, to take away those moments in life when we could pause and reflect. I think that's the most basic thing that we're called to do as Christians, to listen to God. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus arrives with John at this moment. I think Jesus has probably spent his entire 30 years of his life to this point asking God, what are the new things you want to do through me? 
What are the new things you want to do in my life? When is the right time to do these things? And when he hears that response, that now is the time, he goes. And he goes to John and is baptised and the new thing starts. It's difficult enough as individuals. It is difficult also, I think, as a church. We gather together, most of us together, on a Sunday morning. And one of the things I love about St. Paul's is the life and the energy. And during the week when you come into the church with the gym and the educational charities and the groups using the space and the cafe, it's wonderful to see the life and the energy. But there are moments when I get here early on a Sunday morning, it's amazing to have that silence and that space. How do we create space in the midst of our lives as individuals and in the midst of our life as a church to pause to ask the question of God, what new things do you want to start? How do we need to reimagine things that we are doing already? How do we make that space to listen? For us as individuals, the, one thing, the, the best bit of advice I can, I can offer is to say, and I can only offer this because it seems to work reasonably well for me, is to put it in your diary. <laughs> It's amazing how if you think you've got a week ahead that's pretty blank, it can re- fill up remarkably quickly, can't it? With things to do, things to get some shopping, call people, you run into other people, and suddenly, before you know it, the week has gone. And you've actually made, there's been no time to pause and reflect, time to listen. But if we make that time in our diaries, if we put it out in our week, space for ourselves where we maybe turn off our phones, we pause and listen and ask God, what new things are you starting? And in the life of us as a church, how do we pause? Well, jumble sales have been a huge part of the journey of St. Paul's for many, many years. They've been an absolutely wonderful part of engaging our local community, of raising funds for the building. And there's been an amazing team of people who have supported that ministry for so many years. But it feels that now is the right time to pause with our jumble sales to give us space to ask that question, how do we reimagine this? How do we seek God's heart for new things? And so we've got a jumble sale on the 13th of February, and then we're going to be pausing them after that for the rest of the year, just to give us that space. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we do just need to physically stop doing so many things to create that space for ourselves. So pausing and listening asking God, what are the new things that we need to do? How do we reimagine who we are and what you're calling us to? The second thing I think about doing new things is that if we're honest, they can be quite scary at times, can't they? I remember when I was younger, I used to, um, I was in Beavers and I was in Cubs, and I didn't really want to go to Scouts, Totally, honestly, because they'd stopped the football team. And so I, that was really why I went along to Beavers and Cubs to play football. And they stopped it, so I thought, I'm not going to go to Scouts. Um, but I thought I would just not bother turning up for a few weeks, and then they'd get the message. Uh, my mum, bless her, made me write a letter to the scout leader and take it along in person and stand there while they read it. <laughs> it's one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. But I didn't want to start new things. And I think when, you know, for children, that is often the case. And actually, new things can be very scary. But you know what? 
that actually doesn't get much less when we're older, does it? New things can often seem quite scary to do, quite intimidating to do. Those can be big things, perhaps like starting new jobs or becoming a grandmother or grandfather for the first time. It might be being baptized or doing a reading for the first time on a Sunday. New things can be quite scary. I love that passage from Isaiah. It's so encouraging, isn't it? Fear not, for I have redeemed you, says God. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And again, later on, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will call everyone whom I created in my glory, whom I formed and made. Fear is, I think, the thing that can be most damaging to us as Christians and as humans. It can be something that drives us to despair, to anxiety, to apathy. And so often, if we're really honest, I think that fear is about a fear of failure. It's about failing ourselves. It's about failing others. It's about looking like a failure. And, and I think for us as Christians, it's often about a fear of failing God. But how does that passage from Isaiah start? This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. Yeah, God saw us before we were born in our mother's wombs. God knew all, all the days ordained for us before that. God says, I love you. You are my children. With you I am so proud. As someone once said to me, God has no illusions about us. He knows exactly who we really are, probably more so than even we do ourselves. He knows exactly the things we will do which are wonderful and exactly the things we will do in our lives which aren't that wonderful. And yet, Jesus still died for us. Jesus rose from the dead. God sent his son because he loves us so much. Even though he knows all of that, he loves us, and we are precious and honoured in his sight. As it says in one of the letters of John, perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is not a reason to not do something. Fear is not a reason to not step out into what God calls us to in our own lives and in the lives of our church and indeed in our community. You are my children whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I hope that each of you got when you came in one of these prayers uh, headed a Franciscan benediction. We're going to use it as our blessing at the end. But I'd love you to take it away with you and to perhaps keep it with you during the course of this year, maybe in your Bible or your diary or something like that. It is not a prayer of asking for lots of wonderful things, but it is a prayer of asking for God to lead us and to help us to be led by him. I'm just going to read it out. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. 
May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. So as we begin this new year, let's be praying that prayer, the prayer that God will lead us into new things, that God will discomfort us, that God will challenge us, but that we may know more of the love of God, that we may know more of the truth of those words of God spoken to Christ at his baptism and spoken to each of us today. You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And may we catch God's heart to share those words, those words in our homes, in our community, in our schools, and in our workplaces, so that we may build the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. If you've enjoyed this podcast from St Paul's Old Ford, you can find more at our website www.djweatherick.podbean.com Thank you for listening.